This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I'm super excited about today's guest. I am here with Chris Heron, who you may or may not have heard of, but he is so wildly impactful, especially for youth in um, this space. And I am going to let him tell his own story because that's obviously the point of this Naked Mind podcast. But Chris, thanks so much for being here. Oh, no, thank you for having me on. It's, uh, it's great to meet you. Yeah, it's great to meet you too. So uh, I have personally just been so touched by some of your work and especially, um, you know, some of the films that you've put together with students. And that was what prompted this conversation. But I'd love for you to, in your own words, just kind of tell us your story. Mm. Well, I mean... There's multiple chapters, right? I mean, I, um, you know, I, st- I grew up in a home that suffered um, because of alcoholism, right? And uh, at a young age, it's, it's tough to wrap your, your mind around the word alcoholism and understand the illness. Um, so there was a lot of unease and, you know, we were, we were constantly off balance as a family. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and I tell kids all the time, like, you know, I grew up with this hatred for for Miller Lights and um, and I started drinking Miller Lights as a child, you know, and and that was my beginning. That was my first day. Um, You know, I I think I was I'm just one of one of many that. I'm wired to seek relief, Mm -hmm. you know, and you know, when you're wired to seek relief at 12 years old, um, you know, you don't know too many other avenues or I didn't as, you know, holistically, um, you know, how to, how to take care and manage my mental health. Um, and I found that relief in Miller Lights as a child. And, you know, obviously the way this works progressively, it got worse. And, you know, I, I was introduced to cocaine as a, as a teenager. Um, you know, it was one of those drugs that I promised myself I'd just do it once, you know, like mm-hmm. it's, it's that, it's that moment in time. Like I'm in a dorm room, there it is. And I'll do it once just to get it over with and I'll never do it again. And, you know, that, that was a 14 year experience with, uh, with cocaine. Um, you know, people who have my background, I, you know, can really identify with this, but, you know, some people find it troubling or puzzling. Um, you know, cocaine, I fell in love with, 
with cocaine because it was my truth serum. It allowed me to talk freely and, and very openly and honestly. And, you know, sadly, you know, most of my nights, call them mornings on cocaine were, were trauma conversations, you know, we're talking openly about, you know, how I feel and what I've experienced in my life. Um, and that, you know, that introduction to cocaine, as I just stated, you know, it was a 14 year experience. And, you know, at 21, I was asked to go to a treatment center, a 12 step program. Um, and, you know, I checked into that treatment center at 21 uh, for cocaine addiction. And obviously it was a check the box moment for me. Um, and I came out of there uh, the same person that walked in it. And I struggled for a couple more years. And, and after getting into the NBA, right? So Fresno to the National Basketball Association. Um, during that experience, I was introduced to opiates. Um, and I'd be lying if I said I hadn't taken them before that. Um, you know, I had some experience with opiates when I was in high school, uh, as well as college. Uh, but this opiate that I was introduced to, um, Oxycontin, you know, took hold of me. And, you know, embarrassingly, you know, I was spending around $20,000 a month on the drug. I was taking 1600 milligrams a day of that drug. And not to get high, just to hide it. Right. I was so embarrassed. I was so full of shame and, and, and guilt that here I am, <clears throat> a young father, a young husband, building this family. Um, and the optics are that we're this young, up and coming professional family. Mm -hmm. And I was so sick and I was so in despair and isolated. Um, and that drug eventually um, led me to, to heroin. And, you know, that heroin addiction, um, you know, multiple overdoses, you know, four overdoses, um, eventually landed me back into treatment at 32 years old. And at that time, um, we had nothing left. Right. I mean, we were on my wife and I, um, she was eight months pregnant. Um, we had two children, Samantha and Christopher, uh, nine and seven. And, um, you know, we were on food stamps. And the only reason we had a home to live in, it was because of our family who, who supported us. So we had a roof above us. Um, but you know, going into treatment at 32 years old, um, you know, that was a crossroad for me. Um, you know, I, I was there for like 35 days and I got the call that my wife was going into labor. And against the advice of my team there, my counselors, um, I ran and I went to be a sober dad. And, you know, that was my first sober birth. So I was like, you know, 
I have three children and I want, I want to see one of my children come into this world through that sober lens. And um, I went there with the best intentions, um, you know, but I felt unbelievably inept, inadequate. Um, you know, I, I felt that you know, here I am 32 years old holding this little baby boy. I have no job. I have a rage and heroin addiction. My our family's on food stamps and um, we don't even have a vehicle. And, you know, we're supposed to celebrate this. And I, through that self-pity and low, like I, I, I went back to vodka that day. Um, you know, and I know I'm going over this pretty quickly and broadly, but, you know, vodka was a substance that shut my noise off. You know, it was, it was one of those substances that it was so punishing <clears throat> that it just, it helped me <clears throat> suppress and forget, um, temporarily. And, and like I fell in love with cocaine for one reason, vodka was, was the opposite. You know, it was shove everything down and not think about it. Um, and I relapsed uh, shortly after my, my son was born. And, you know, I was on heroin that night. And, you know, I got an ultimatum from my wife the next day. Um, I went back to treatment and, at 32 years old, you know, you would think you'd be humbled enough, right? And 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 I was to a, to a certain extent, but I had to find a way to really, you know, focus and kind of buckle down and and really work work this. And, you know, I went back and I, I was different. I was, I was just different. I was, I wasn't following the crowd. I wasn't interesting. I wasn't interested in, you know, the time flying by. So let's play cards. Let's play dominoes. Let's do whatever we, what we can in treatment to make the day go faster. I embraced the day and, and I used it. Um, you know, extremely well to, to kind of find that, that recovery that I was, I was so longing for, um, you know, and, and it's the greatest, it's the greatest gift I've ever given, you know, it's, it's, you know, to be sitting with you and be coming up on 14 years, um, it's all my kids ever wanted, you know, it's, it's all they ever needed. Um, you know, and, and, you know, it's, it's such a, it's such a gift. It's such a blessing. And, you know, these 14 years sober have been, um, just the greatest years of my life. And, uh, you know, people often say to me, do you ever feel like drinking and do you ever feel like relapsing? And, um, I still have days I don't want to be me, you know? I still have those days where the noise is loud and, and, you know, it's, uh, it can be repetitive, 
Um, the guilt and the shame are still very present. Um, and those are the days that I want to just lock myself in a hotel room. Um, you know, I, I travel a lot and I do a lot of speaking events and, you know, there's multiple times where I just wanted to put that latch over the door and, and, and just take off for a while. Um, you know, but God willing and, and through, you know, the support of so many, you know, I've been able to uh, battle that self-esteem, that self-worth and, and, you know, and to be standing with, sitting with you today. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. It's just such a, gosh, touching story. And I relate to a lot of parts of it in, in my mm -hmm. own journey. Um, I wanted to follow up on a few parts, which I think people can really relate to, which is, first of all, just going back to the beginning, the feeling of things being off balance in your own home. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't put my finger on it as a child, right? I was like, wait a second, like, how come yesterday was different than today? You know, why are we, why are we happy today? You know, why are we supposed to be like, oh, life is great today? when yesterday was so horrible, um, you know, and, and I just remember as a child, it was, it went from, you know, why is today, why is mom happy today? And yesterday she was sad. Uh, and that, that as a young boy, it was, it was more frequent on a daily kind of schedule. And then that changed to weekly and then monthly. And I'm like, wait a second, mom, mom's been upset for a month now. Like what's going on here? Um, and, you know, that's part of the education that I think kids deserve, right? Like to know exactly what alcoholism, exactly what addiction looks like, where it comes from, you know, and, and how to assess it and, and, and find a way to be healthy around it. Mm -hmm. Right. And I had no outlet. I couldn't go to school and sit in a chemistry class and say, like, you know, I had a rough night last night with my mom and dad, you know, like my dad's drinking. They're on the brink of divorce. And I really don't know where I'm going to end up. You know, like, well, who do I go with? You know, and it's just so unfair. It's just so unfair for children to have to try to manage that and, and be OK with it. Um, so the life of being off balance in an alcoholic home, um, it was pretty common, you know, for me, it was pretty regular. Um, now, mind you, I love my mom. She's got, you know, my mom passed away at a young age from cancer. And, you know, unfortunately my mom never saw me sober. Um, you know, the last time she saw me, I was high on heroin. Um, so she never got, I never gave her that gift that piece that she so badly wanted for me. Um, but, you know, I love her. I love my dad, you know, like he struggles, he's still struggling, you know, like I'm sitting here with you today and I'm currently at my wellness center and I have, I have two people here in their seventies and, you know, they're, they're fighting for it. And my dad is 10 miles away from here and never seen this place. Um, never stepped foot on the property. So, um, you know, he's, he's still struggling with those Miller lights and, and, you know, those 12 ounce beers have still, you know, 
they got a grip on him and, uh, and the house is still off balance. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's so true. When, with, in your experience, did you feel it was more, so there was periods of drinking and not drinking. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't constant. And was the, the drinking was worse or the not drinking was worse? Because in some of my no. experience, sometimes both were worse. Like the not yeah. drinking brought out a person that, you know, had a stepdad who, um, yeah, definitely was an alcoholic. And yeah, it, it sometimes you couldn't tell. And I think mm. that's what I really resonated with when you said off balance, it brought a lot of this back for me is like, you, I, could, I couldn't have told as a child which days were drinking days. Right. I just knew something wasn't right. And, and I would look back and say, maybe, maybe some of those sober days were, were really bad too, because I know how first sober days can feel. And sure. You know, I think it was constant for me. My dad, there weren't many days he didn't put down the Miller lights, um, but there were stages, right? Like I could, you know, and, and, and I'm not the only child who can identify with this. Um, I started to understand the tone of the voice. Mm -hmm. I started to understand the wardrobe. I understood the timing of coming home. Like if you came home at four, we, it was much better than coming home at eight, mm. right? Um, if his suit jacket was not on him, that could cause a little tension because it means he's put in, you know, a healthy day, unhealthy day of, of drinking. Um, you know, and, and again, it's the tone, right? Like at 46 years old, I can call my dad and I know the tone. Mm -hmm. I know it. I knew it when I was 10 and I, and I still am dealing with the tone at 46. I, I usually ask this question at the end of the podcast. I might ask you again in a different way, but I want to ask it now is if you were able to go back to your 10 year old self and, and just give him some words, what would you say? Yeah, I'd probably just hug him, man. <laughs> No words. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Um, sorry. Mm. Um, one of the things that you talk about so much and you do it so well, and I'd love for you to talk about here is this idea of the first day. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for the first, I've been speaking for, for 10 years and the first six of those years, I, um, I would walk out in front of, a thousand children and I would tell them my story and the feedback was phenomenal right it was so healthy for my ego right because kids would say like you're an unbelievable speaker and I'm going to pray for you and I hope your children I'm going to reach out to your children but as as someone who's been given this responsibility and this opportunity I felt that I was missing the mark like it was an opportunity to get kids to tell their story. Like, don't worry so much about my story. Let's understand who you are right now. Mm -hmm. And I felt I was playing into that narrative of we, we put so much energy and focus on the worst day of addiction, 
and we forget the first thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we're going to show children pictures of drug addicts. We're going to have them read their books, watch their movies. Um, but we're never going to talk about what they looked like when they were 12. And we're not going to show them the progression of this illness over time. And I think if, in fairness to, to, to children, they need to see the whole spectrum. They need to understand, like, you know, I, I was a 10-year-old altar boy. I was a 12-year-old shortstop. I was a 13-year-old kid building forts in the woods and running around in my neighborhood playing hide and seek. You know, like, I just didn't end up at 32 with the needle in my arm you know, and, and taking a chance at dying on a daily basis. Um, so the, I changed the way I spoke to them. And like you asked the question, what would you say to your 10 year old self? And I said, hug them. Um, the today, not the today show, the morning show with Charlie Rose and Gail King, you know, they asked me to do a segment called note to self. Hmm. And, um, you know, when I talk to the, the, their executive producer, they, he's like, you know, it's just 500 words, you know, 500 words. It's roughly two and a half minutes. I want you to have the note ready. We're going to come in and we're going to film you and you'll read it. Um, and I figured this is going to be an easy assignment. And it was harder than writing my book mm-hmm. because note to self is talking to that boy in the bunk bed, you know, it's getting him, <clears throat> it's getting him ready for school, mm-hmm. you know, when he doesn't want to go, um, you know, it's, it's helping him go to sleep at night when the madness is very present um, and just trying to get him back to balance. And, you know, that's very difficult. You know, that's very difficult. It was the hardest thing I've ever done. And, um, but getting through that segment shed a little light on and perspective on how I should be talking to these kids. And rather than talking about me with a needle in my arm and spending a whole lot of money and breaking everybody's heart that loved me, I wanted to talk about how I felt at 13 and 15 and 17 and you know how I was this kid that projected to be way way bigger than I felt and 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 my self-worth was much lower than anyone would have ever guessed. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about what how I would answer that question when you mm. were and I think that like if I could, I, I don't know the words, but if I could somehow help myself or any child understand that what's happening with, with the parent isn't like, it, they don't have to take it to mean something about them. Mm. Like there's not, there's not actually a connection because we, we believe it so deeply that there's a connection that there, whatever is happening, you know, it means, yeah. and, you know, even in, in my house, if, either my husband and I get frustrated or like, of course we know it has nothing to do with our kids, but then our kid is crying and we're like, Whoa, wait, you made that, you made that mean something about you and how worthy you are. And yeah, it's. And that's, I tell kids all the time, like, you know, and I don't want to 
like, I love my kids more than anything in this world. You know, they meant everything to me. I, I, I just had this, this sickness that I just didn't see a way to get out of it. And I, I just kept kind of chasing my tail through it. And as I was doing it, I was trying to tell you, I love you. I was trying to let you know how much you mean to me. Um, so yeah, the, the connection, it has nothing to do with them. And some kids wear that and, and they, they, they shoulder that. And, you know, if, when I, when I do my speaking events, kids often ask that question and I just tell them like, I don't know their parents, but I know as a parent, I loved my children. Mm-hmm. I loved them. And I just couldn't love myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's such an important thing for them to know and understand. Um, I'm just switching gears a bit to talk about your basketball career. Mm-hmm. And you said that was when you were first introduced to Oxycontin and was it, was it prevalent in the locker rooms and on, you know, was it, so it wasn't that you were introduced by other players. Necessarily. No, no. I was introduced by some, some kids I grew up with. Um, but, but like we were those kids, right. We were, you know, like, again, it's the first day, worst day deal. Like, you know, when people hear my story, they're kind of in awe or shocked by me buying drugs outside the arena, right? Mm -hmm. So here I am playing for the Boston Celtics. I'm not feeling well. I hadn't had any opiates in my system. My body feels like it's starting to withdraw. And now I'm gonna be asked to perform at the highest level And I am petrified because there's so many things that can happen in withdrawal. And I don't want to be on center stage and TV while this happens to me. Um, So so to meet my drug dealer outside the arena before the game, to me, that's just that's pretty normal. You know, to most, it's like absolutely crazy. but I try to explain to people there's a lot of tragedy in the first sip of Miller Lights too, right? Mm-hmm. Like we can talk about a needle and a heroin, but there was also a ton of tragedy when I snapped open that first Miller Light, knowing that I go to bed at night and I pray that my mom will be okay and my dad will stop drinking it so our family could stay together, right? So, you know, that, that was also a very, very sad day in my timeline. And unfortunately, as adults, we haven't connected, like we don't explain that to kids well enough. Um, Oxycontin was not prevalent in the NBA. Um, you know, I didn't, bump into really any hard drugs besides alcohol and marijuana. Um, I was introduced to Oxys and as I said, I was the first time I took a Vicodin, I loved it. (laughs) You know, it's like, whoa, like my body warmed up, my eyes got big, I had energy, like let's have fun and talk and laugh. 
um, my physical response to that um, was attractive and my body immediately embraced it. I'm one of the unlucky ones. You know, my wife can give, be given a Percocet after surgery and like she begs for me not to give her another one because she hates the feeling, mm -hmm. you know, where I would be laying on the couch, like just pour the whole bottle down my throat, you know, I'll take that. Um, so when I was introduced to Oxys, a drug that I had never heard of, it was 1999. So at the time it just, I remember reading my first headline on this drug that I had just started taking and the headline was Hillbilly Heroin. Mm. And they were talking about how counties in West Virginia and Kentucky have been decimated because of it. And I, uh, that's when I, that's when I started to understand, wait a second, this thing might be much bigger than I thought. And sure enough, I was fast tracked to, you know, 1600 milligrams a day and, um, spending most of my all of my family's money on it. Mm. Yeah. Well, let's, let's switch gears. And with the last few minutes we have, let's talk about all the incredible things that you're doing now. I mean, just my recommendation is to start with the movie the first day I, I yeah. was so touched and yeah, it's like just really you're doing really amazing work, Chris. And I just, I'm really thankful. I'm thankful for on behalf of all the kids. Like, yeah, it's just beautiful. So I'd love to, to hear more about all of it. Yeah. yeah. It's my proudest moment, right? Like I did unguarded and I loved unguarded, like unguarded was, was really special. And I, and I had no idea of the reach, um, you know, unguarded today is played in most treatment centers, you know, it's it played in most DUI classes and, you know, it's, it's used as a tool for, for, for many people. And, you know, when I did it, I didn't understand it. I didn't understand that it could have that type of reach. Um, so something I'm very proud of, but, but the first day is like my soul, you know, like that was, that was my soul. I'm mean, like, that was my core, um, you know, as a person and to, kind of hone in and nail down the, the, the messaging. Um, you know, it was a lot of like, <clears throat> it was a lot of my mom. Mm. That, that film is, is my greatest, you know, professional accomplishment. Um, you know, and now also, you know, Heron Project and you know, I was 32, I was unemployed, I had no health insurance, and um, I was given a gift, right? Like a, a total gift by a family, the Mullins, and they found a place for me to go to in upstate New York. And when I got sober, I said to myself, because I was so proud, right, of myself, and I was like, the Mullins must feel so good to know that like they gave me this, this fresh start. And I said, I want to, I want, I want to feel what they felt. And so I started Heron Project and 
you know, Heron Project has has given 2,500 scholarships in the last 10 years, and we've, I believe, up, we're up to around seven million in like in scholarships, um, and you know, the families and the children that are involved in Heron Project and the runners all across the world, it's 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 really special to watch, and it's you know, I was very fortunate to, you know, it's attraction, not promotion, as they say in recovery, right? And, and we have some really special people that are attracted to helping others. And, um, you know, Heron Project has taken that mission and has grown it way beyond I envisioned it. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I'm here at Heron Wellness. At 10 years sober, I opened up this these beautiful centers that care deeply. And, um, you know, I have a front row seat to this and I get to watch little kids run down the driveway to hug their mom. And not many people get a chance to see those moments. And uh, my wife and I, we, we invested in this and, and we bought this and opened it very um, afraid and scared and not knowing what to expect and and it's given back so much to us that's amazing and for anybody listening um the heron project is h-e-r-r-e-n-p-r-o-j-e-c-t so heronproject.org so if you're interested in donating or becoming involved there's a lot of different ways to support and get involved and ways to give and shop and all sorts of stuff it's just awesome that's so great well chris i will i will ask you a slightly different frame of the the question I always end this with, which is um, if you were going to go back to, uh, you know, yourself who really was, I guess, those first days when it changed for you in the treatment center and when you weren't the one playing dominoes or playing cards mm -hmm. and, and you wanted to encourage him, what would you tell him? Okay. So I'm going to leave you with this. And cause I've, I've been so blessed right to have people in my life that have intervened at the right moment and i tell this to every person in my center um i was in an aa meeting and i was probably gosh six months sober and you know i have this like little chip on my shoulder and i'm starting to rebuild and i'm feeling healthy and you know, the withdrawal is done finally. And um, I had this really good group of people that I was socializing with around recovery. And I went into an AA meeting and I'm sitting there and I pull out my phone. I pull out my phone and I'm, I'm as somebody speaking, I'm looking at my phone and I'm in a room of about 60, 70 people. And this old timer walks up to me and he whispers in my ear, um, imagine if Christopher and Samantha saw you sitting in this AA meeting, staring at social media, instead of paying attention to be the father that they need. And I, um, I put the phone away. And from that day forward, my kids are with me and they're behind me. They're in this interview with me, you know, like I want to make them proud. And, you know, he gave me that as six months sober. And it's something that I've never, ever 
ever let go of. And, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those moments that, you know, who knows what it gave me, but it's given me no doubt the last 13 and a half years of my life. So. Oh, that's so beautiful. And it's amazing too, because gosh, to be that man takes a lot of guts and a lot of courage and a lot of like, yeah, I'm going to rub this guy a little bit the wrong way. He could react all sorts of ways, but I'm going to just step outside myself and say the truth of the moment. Well, you're a crier. You could have had me. I don't cry very often. (laughs) Like I literally, I do. I've done 400 podcasts and I, I can count on one hand the times that I've done. I don't know, but you're, I think it's the kids. I have three kids of my own. My son is 13. Um, Yeah. It's just like you. Yeah. I don't know. It's really touched me. And, and you're, you are such a incredible speaker, Chris, like you, you're so open and you're so, I don't know. It's just really very moving for me. So I really appreciate it because I know everybody listening will feel the same. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. You too. Are you ready for a deep dive and truly lasting change? If so, you might consider my intensive program. It's a nine-week self-led program that you can do in the complete comfort of your own home, and it will truly transform your relationship with alcohol. If you want to learn more about this, go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash intensive. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.